as the 1800s came to a close, uh, a young boy named William Borden gave his life to Jesus Christ. And for young William, his faith was then poured into by his mother, who, among other things, would, would pray with her young son every day before he went to school. William grew to have a heart for the Lord that outgrew the desire he had for any of the things in this world. And, and to really get an appreciation for William Borden's story, you need to realize that he came from a very wealthy family. He was the heir to this massive fortune, had all these opportunities at his fingertips. And before he went to college, his parents gifted him with a trip around the world. Because like I said, he came from a very wealthy family. And when he was on this trip, William Borden couldn't help but see the deep hurts and needs that people in other countries had. Specifically, he saw the deep gospel need that existed in other countries. And that was when he felt the Lord very clearly call him to life as a missionary. Of course, when his friends heard about this, they told him that if he became a missionary, he'd be throwing his life away. What a waste, they told him. It wasn't just his friends. His own father was dead set against the idea of his son entering the mission field. But he was convinced this is what he needed to do. Although it must have been tempting for him to stay in America after his college studies were over. I mean, after all, here in America, he had the security of finances, family. After all, there's gospel work to be done here, too. But it's not where he was called to. Now, he believed there was greater need elsewhere. Uh, the way William Borden once put it was this. He said, if ten men are carrying a log and nine of them are at the little end and one is at the heavy end and you want to help, which end are you going to lift on? And see, for William, the heavier gospel work wasn't to be done in America. It was to be done in countries like China. So that's where he decided he was going to go. And when the day came that he finally set off for the mission field, a local paper in Chicago described it this way. They wrote, Millionaire Gives Up All. And I was really drawn by William Borden's story because it's true. He gave up wealth gave up status, he gave up lucrative job opportunities to enter the difficult and demanding field of mission work. He gave up his life, his career, his future, he gave all these things to Jesus, he was determined to follow the Lord's will for his life. And despite what his friends said, those of us who love the Lord know that all those things that we give and dedicate to God are never wasted. So the question, believers, that I have for each of us this morning is, what have we given to God in our lives? This morning, as we turn together to Matthew chapter 2, we're going to see what another group of individuals gave to Jesus. We'll be reminded of what Jesus gave to them and to all of us. And as we see this great gift exchange of sorts play out, I pray that we will be encouraged and challenged to consider what we ought to be giving to Jesus in our lives. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there with me, Matthew chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, it's always an encouragement. Use one of those Bibles under the seats in front of you. If you'd like to use one of those, you can turn to page 783. Page 783. Matthew chapter 2. And let's, let's look together. Verse 1 says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. 
Let's stop here for just a minute. There's some things I, I want us to all be on board with, all of us to understand. You know, we've all heard of the wise men, the magi. But let's get a grasp on what's going on. First, it tells us that these things take place after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And despite what our nativity scenes often depict, the magi were not present the night of Jesus' birth. Now, later in this passage, in Matthew chapter 2, we actually get several indicators that suggest that at the time of their arrival, Jesus may have been as old as two years old when the magi arrived. Now, as for these magi, who stirred up the curiosity of those in Jerusalem, we know very little about them, too. Uh, the Greek word that's translated as magi uh, could also be used of wise men or astrologers, not necessarily kings, which is a tradition that developed later. It's also a tradition that says there were three of them. That's due to the number of gifts that they gave, but their company could have been larger than that. What we're told is that they came from the east, well, it's commonly thought that that might indicate the nation of Babylon. There were still known to be magi astrologers in that nation at this time. Some think they could have come even further from the nation of Persia. Now, how they connected this star in the sky with a prophesied Savior, there's no way to know for certain. It may be that they knew the prophecies in the faith of Daniel centuries earlier, because Daniel, he lived in the East. Or that other prophecies of the Jewish faith had made it to them. Or maybe God moved in their hearts and lives in some other special way. Honestly, we don't know. And honestly, it doesn't matter. They knew, they knew that the Messiah was being born. And regardless of the great distance, they went. You see, there's a lot that we don't know about the Magi. But what we do know is worth considering. And the first thing that I want us to see this morning, the first thing I want us to see that they gave to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is that they gave their time to the Lord. You see, if they traveled from Babylon, well, that's a journey, a trip that could easily take at least four months during that time. Other countries like Persia, they were even further. And, and keep in mind that travel was difficult at this time. We always need to remember that. To be honest with you, I wish that a couple years ago I had been thinking about the Magi. Because if I was, maybe then I wouldn't have been complaining about traffic and airport lines and, and the TSA lines. I mean, it only took me and my family a couple hours out of our day to travel over 800 miles to see family. That wasn't true for the Magi. They were traveling by foot or camel or other animal. And there were all sorts of dangers that might come on this journey. There were the dangers of robbers, weather, wild animals. But despite all these things, they left the comfort of their home, they left the security of what they had known, and they made this long journey. And they did this even though they didn't know the exact place where they were going. They were following a star. A and it seems that the star momentarily disappeared because they had to stop and ask for directions. They also did all this, it seems, knowing that the child had already been born. They want to know where the one born, the king of the Jews, is. I mean, that means uh, the party was over. The shepherds that we read about, they were already back in the fields. The angels who were singing in the night sky. All these things we read about in Luke chapter 2 of the night of Jesus' birth. All these, these guys had missed all of that. But they didn't seem worried about the timing of when they would see Jesus. They simply wanted to see 
Jesus. So they traveled for many weeks, months. Some believe they may have even traveled more than a year to get there. And now, now they were so close. Look at verse 3. It says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. Yeah, as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. You know, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they were, they were quick to point out that the birth of the Messiah was going to take place in the town of Bethlehem. See, that had been prophesied long, long before by the prophet Micah. In fact, this was pretty common knowledge among the Jewish people. That's where the Messiah would be born. The Magi, they made a good call going to Jerusalem for directions because the Jews gave them the answer that they needed. And in turn, the Magi, the Magi gave the Jews something very important that day in Jerusalem. These Gentiles, they gave witness to the birth of the long-awaited Messiah. And they gave witness to his birth to all these Jews who themselves should have been eagerly looking for the Savior. Strangely, we're going to find that none of the Jews seem to have been persuaded to go with the Magi to see if this was the case, the Savior had been born. I thought a lot about that in the past. Why didn't they just go and find out? Makes me wonder if maybe the Jews were thinking to themselves, well, surely God will give us some sign if the Messiah is among us. This would be one of those signs. A caravan of wealthy astrologers drawn by a heavenly star seeking the Savior. But when they continued on, no one, no one seems to have joined them. But verse 9 says this. It says, after they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them till it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. You know, I wonder if it shocked the Magi, that none of the people in Jerusalem came with them, that no one seemed to be aware or to care about the Messiah's birth, that no one else was drawn by the star in the sky, or that when they found the one born, the king of the Jews, he wasn't in a palace or in the midst of a parade, but he was in what was very likely a humble house. But you would almost think that there would be some confusion or disappointment on the part of the Magi when they got there. But that's not what we find. We aren't given any reason to believe that was the case. Instead, when they arrived, what they give the Savior? Well, they gave him gifts. They gave him gold, a 
gifts, a noble gift, fit for a king. They gave him frankincense, costly incense. It's often used in worship. That's a gift fit for the Son of God. They gave him myrrh, a precious perfume that, among other things, was often used in burial. And it would be used about 30 years later when Jesus himself was laid in a tomb. We know about these gifts. We've heard about them. But greater than these gifts is that the Magi gave their worship to the Lord. Whether they knew it or not, these Magi had never bowed down to a king as great as this child who was in front of them. This was the fulfillment of their journey. This was the greatest gift they gave to the Lord, their worship. I love that they went to the earthly king, Herod, for information, but they bowed down before the heavenly king, Jesus, in exaltation. And the incredible thing is that when the Magi left, they had given great gifts. They had given their time, their worship, from their wealth. They had done all this, but I can only imagine that they left without realizing what was being given to them. See, the Magi are great examples. They're abundant gifts to the only true king, but it's the king who gives the greatest gifts. You can't outgive the king. I, I mean, we cannot outgive the one who gives us all good things in our lives. And so we saw last week in Philippians chapter 2, if you were here with us, how when Jesus came to this earth, he veiled his glory. He left his throne, the place of his praise and majesty in heaven, and he took on a human body. He gave up the riches of heaven and became poor on our account so that we could become eternally rich. What Jesus gave for the Magi, what he gave for Herod, what he gave for all the Jews who were indifferent to his birth, what Jesus gave for each of us is summarized well by these verses in Titus chapter 2. It says this. Titus 2, beginning in verse 13, it says, While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. The greatest gift given 2,000 years ago was not the time, the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh, even the worship of the Magi. Now, the greatest gift that we see was Jesus Christ himself, who came to this earth to die on the cross for the sins that we have committed, so that by faith in him we could be redeemed, set free from the bondage to sin, free from the penalty of hell, forgiven of all our wickedness, given eternal life. Jesus gave himself for the Magi, for the world, for us. Jesus is the greatest gift. I pray that we will never forget that. I pray that we'll be eager to go and tell people that. Because a lot of people just don't know. There's an old story of a coal miner who once went to a local preacher and told him that he wanted to believe the gospel, but he just couldn't do it. He said to the pastor, he said, I can't believe that if I just go to God in faith, he's going to forgive me of my sins and save me. It's too cheap to me. So the pastor looked at the coal miner and he asked if he had been working that day. And the miner said, yeah, I was in the pit earlier. Well, the pastor asked, he said, well, how do you, how do you get out of the pit when you're done working? Well, the man said, he said, I just get into the, the cage elevator and they pull me out. The guy said, okay. He said, now how much do you have to pay every time for them to pull you up out of the pit? He said, pay? I don't pay them anything. Well, he looked at the man and said, well, then why would you trust in the elevator? 
Why would you trust in something so cheap to take you up safely every time? Well, and the coal miner said, well, it might be cheap for me, but it wasn't cheap for the company. And that's when it started to sink in for the man. You know, the company put in all of the time and the energy and the money into making this elevator. It didn't cost him anything to go up and down. Jesus gave his very life to secure our forgiveness and our salvation. Salvation costs us nothing. But Jesus gave everything for us. And the Magi, I don't think they realized that on that day. As they went back a different way to their homeland, no, I don't think they fully grasped what Jesus gave them. The same way I think that many of us don't always fully grasp what Jesus gave for us. But even though they didn't know, look how wholeheartedly they gave to the Lord. Given what we do know, what will we give to Jesus? He is, after all, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Savior of our souls, the creator of our beings. The Magi, they gave to the Lord from their wealth, from their resources. And these treasures are what we think of most often when we think about what the Magi gave to Jesus. But I wonder how often we take their example to heart. I mean, after all, everything that we have has been given to us by God. And so we should desire to cheerfully give back to him. Is that true for how we handle our wealth, our resources, our finances? To be honest with you, the gift that impresses me more than their treasures is that the Magi gave their, their time to the Lord. Uh, a wealthy and successful businessman once said to me, he said, you know, Andrew, I can always make more money, but I can't make more time. He said, for me, time, it's more precious, more valuable to me than money. The Magi traveled this great distance over many days to see Jesus. And the time that they spent with the Lord must have been minuscule compared to the time that round-trip journey took them. But it was, it was worth it to them. And by the way, it's clear to me that you all know what it is to give to the Lord of your time. That's why you're here today. That's why you're here on this cold Christmas day. You came to the house of the Lord to worship him. But believers, let's ask ourselves, how else can we give to the Lord of our time? I mean, do we, do we give time every day to the Lord to seek him in his word, reading the Bible, to go to him in prayer? Do we give him of our time by serving him, by serving one another? It's true, time is, time is valuable. There's a lot that we can do with it, but remember, it will always be worth more when we give it to the Lord. So the question is, what can we do with it for him? And of course, the most important gift the Magi gave was their worship to the Lord. And so we should look forward to worshiping him. It should be our joy to sing out his praises, to go to him in prayer, to thank him for his goodness, like we did earlier together as a church. In the end, if we're going to keep it really simple for ourselves, we should give everything to the Lord. Our time, our worship, our wealth, every part of our lives should be dedicated to him, to he who gave himself up for us. How many times have we sung that old hymn, church, that says, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. That, that is what we should give to our Lord. We should give him everything. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 15 puts it best, though. It says, and he, that's Jesus, and he died for all, 
that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Seems reasonable that he who gave so much for us that we should give more than the Magi did, that we should give him everything, just like William Borden did. See, William Borden, when he left for the mission field, he had to go to Egypt first, do some language studies. So he went to Egypt, and he had only been there for a few months when he contracted cerebral meningitis. And shortly afterwards, he died. No doubt his friends back home thought to themselves, told you so, what a waste. But remember, like I said earlier, what we give to the Savior is never wasted. He gave his life to the Lord, and God, God still had a plan and a purpose. You see, when news came back to the States about the death of William Borden, this young man who had given up so much for the Savior, it inspired thousands of young Christians to dedicate themselves to missionary service. And as a result, more lives would be impacted for God's kingdom than William Borden ever could have on his own on the mission field. Believers, as we continue celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ this Christmas day, as we celebrate everything Jesus gave to us by coming to this earth and dying on the cross and rising powerfully from the dead, let's each ask ourselves, what can I give to my Savior? What area of my life, my time, my resources am I holding back? And let's give it all to him because he gave himself for us. If you're here and Jesus Christ is not your Savior, what you need to understand before you leave is that Jesus came to this earth for you. And when Jesus died on the cross, he was giving himself up for you. Jesus died for all the sins that you, me, everyone in this room, we've all committed. And Jesus did this to pay the penalty that we deserve for sin. That penalty is to be separated from God forever in hell. Jesus died, and then he powerfully rose from the dead, and now he stands in heaven. You want to know what? Jesus wants to give you the forgiveness of all your sins. He wants to give you a pardon from the penalty of hell. He wants to give you eternal life. Jesus has been waiting your whole life to give you these things. The question is, will you give your life to him? The moment that you do that, Jesus will save your soul. He'll bring you into a relationship with him that will never end. And friend, you can make that decision right now, today, this Christmas day. You can give your life to Jesus Christ. But if you're here and you're still not sure, you still have questions, maybe like that coal miner I talked about earlier, you have doubts, things that don't make sense to you. If that's true for you, then I'd ask that you don't leave this place without talking to somebody about that. During our final invitation song, come to the front and talk with me about those questions. But if you're ready to give your life to Jesus right now, I don't want you to have to wait another moment. Would you pray with me? If that's true for you, if Jesus isn't your Savior, but you're ready to change that, you know that he came for you. You believe that he died on the cross for your sins and that he rose from the dead. And if you're ready to go to him for forgiveness, to receive these great gifts he is offering you, you can do that right now. You can go to Jesus in faith, and you can pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. But Jesus, I know that you died on the cross for my sins. 
And I believe you didn't stay in the grave, but that you powerfully rose from the dead. Jesus, thank you for giving yourself up for me. Today, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sins and to be my Savior. I'm ready to receive that gift of forgiveness and salvation that you are offering. And so today, I'm giving you my life. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that if there is anyone here who has still not made that decision, that they wouldn't leave without talking to someone about it, about the questions they might have. If there's someone who did make that decision, I pray they would tell someone because this is a church filled with people that want to rejoice with them. And Father, for those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, who have accepted this great salvation that he's given to us, I pray that this Christmas day, we would examine our lives and we would ask, what, what can I give my Savior who gave himself up for me? Because, Father, the truth is there are many ways that we can give to you of our wealth, our resources, our time, and we certainly should give you all of our worship. So open each of our eyes to the ways that we can do this so that you'd be honored and that you would be glorified. Father, thank you so much. 2,000 years ago, you sent your son to this earth so that you could die on the cross, pay the penalty for our sin. I pray that we would never forget his sacrifice, that we would remember it every day when we wake up, that we would be the most grateful people in the world. Father, we love you. That you proved 2,000 years ago, just like you proved day after day, that you love us more. We thank you for that. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.